0: Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett.
1: And I'm Juliette Starrett.
0: And this is The Ready State.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to The Ready State. We are so excited to have John Berardi on the podcast today. He's the co-founder of Precision Nutrition, one of my favorite nutrition programs. He is also a writer, a coach, a researcher, an athlete, and an amazing businessman. And we're so excited about this today because nutrition is a big talking point around our house. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, you might as well be talking about religion, religion, Uh, there is so much information about nutrition. It has become the blind leading the blind. And really, I mean, we were just driving down the street the other day and I saw like a vegan juice company that now offers keto plans. So what's interesting about John is that he's a generalist. And more importantly, and I think this relates to our whole kind of conversation about our first season from child development to athletics to genetics, is that it's about first principles. And oftentimes, First principles are not about nutrition at all. It's about behavior and changing behavior.
1: You know, I took John's level one certification. I just loved it. And what he really focuses on is how to change people's habits. In fact, much of the course is not about nutrition at all.
0: When we have these conversations around eating better food and food quality at our dinner table, especially with our kids, man, I I hear John in my background all the time because, you know, sometimes when it comes to kids and food, this is one less battle I want to have.
1: John is really dedicated to making uh, good nutrition available to everybody, and we really hope you enjoy this conversation with him.
0: We first ran into John Berardi, well, it's really difficult, you run into John Berardi wherever you go. Wait, wait,
1: wait, let me tell you where I ran into him first, because you ran into him before me. So I first ran ran into you um, on social media with your infographic that's like my single favorite infographic ever published online, which is the um, the cost of getting lean infographic and it like boggled my mind. And I was like, who is this guy? This is the greatest thing ever. And I shared it everywhere and I like to share it. It's like a thing I like to share like once every six months to remind people. Um, so that's where I first found out about you. And then I said, this guy, John Brardy, this infographics amazing. And Kelly's like, oh yeah, I know about him. He's doing amazing work. So, um, tell me a little bit about that infographic, by the way, because I want to hear the backstory and, um, I just, you know, I'll just dive right in.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a cool story actually. We we have uh, our our whole company is virtual, right? So we work online and, and um, teams scattered all over the world, and uh, so we all, we get together once a year, like one big company team meeting. We descend upon Toronto and we do all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's amazing. Um, and we were sitting at lunch one day, and one of our team members is a designer, right? So he doesn't come from an exercise background and he had just gone through our coaching program and he'd lost all kinds of weight and he was feeling great about life and he made this one comment right which we all will recognize and appreciate he was like yeah i'm feeling so good it's amazing like i can hike with my boys now i I never realized i could get in this kind of shape um i'm just thinking of going just a tiny bit further and getting all the abs to come in right (laughs) and uh and so you know us grizzled veterans you know the, the coaches were sitting there nodding at each other like oh man okay should we tell them like should we break it down? <laughs> that like to go from you know 15 13 body fat and like having a normal life and, and including exercise in it to like ripped like magazine cover model ripped isn't just like cut out an extra soda a week and you're there right it's like it takes a humongous like disproportional effort right and so we, we kind of shared with them, well, you know what, actually, it's not like linear where you just go a little bit harder, like maybe one extra day a week. To get to that state, you actually have to do like 10 more things. Is it worth it to you? And when we had this conversation, he was just like, whoa, i never heard of this before, and I've been working at Precision Nutrition for 10 years, you know, <laughs> so you guys should do something on this. So we decided to write an article on it and do this accompanying infographic where we show different degrees of you know meanness or body fatness and what it might take to change to the next level, right? What things you might have to add in, what things you might have to subtract out. And we released it into the wild and the thing went totally crazy. A lot of people had the reaction you did, but a lot of people had the opposite reaction. They were like, this is total BS. Um, These guys... my favorite comment ever, which was posted like a hundred different times, must have been written by a fat person. <laughs> That's what someone said, right? <laughs> like, in other words, only a fat person would make it seem hard to get cover model lean, you know? Uh, no, it's not like that really. So we had all this great debate over it. I mean, the thing's been viewed uh, 10 million times now. And uh, it's just, it's it's one of those pieces where we kind of put our flag down and said, listen guys, We're just gonna be as honest as we can about what this takes, not to be like, um, look at us, or, oh, we gotta tell it like it is, but for a very specific reason, because we feel like people have the right to know
0: so that they can make an informed decision, right? Like- I I will tell you that even Juliet and I eat in a really sustainable, reasonable way, we both have, you know, Juliet has what I call vanity abs. Like they just they don't do anything for her, but they're always there. <laughs> right. Like, like I'll turn over and I'm like, Oh, look, my 44 year old wife has abs. Like, that's great. And, um, but what's Genetics interesting a is, I think, <laughs> when I read that again, and I, and I, the last time I was in a dunk tank, I was, Happy with the results, you know, for my life and what's going yeah. on, and uh, even when I read that, I'm like, ooh, whoa, I'm good, you know. I mean, I literally mm-hmm. even I even had that experience myself, and more importantly, I think one one of the reasons I think that really spoke to Juliet so much was that it wasn't even about what to eat. You didn't even talk about that. It was all mm-hmm. about behavior, which mm-hmm. is really the hallmark of why I think what, why precision nutrition matters to us. And why it relates so much to the work that we do around trying to change behaviors, consistency, sustainability. You know, if we substitute, hey, I want to improve my performance, get leaner with, I need to improve my dorsiflexion, you know, and, and I rolled, I foam rolled for, you know, 30 minutes last week and it didn't change. You know, we, we have the same level of conversation that, you know. You have to move well. You have to be consistent in your eating. You have to, you know, you can't, you have to take care of your sleep if you're going to see improvements in tissues or in, improvements in your body composition.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it sounds like you- the, only,
2: I the only group that's late to the game on this is personal trainers and strength coaches, right? Like if you come from a PT world or a medicine world or a pure nutrition world, we all know that compliance is the only thing that really matters to a point, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, doctors are like, hey, I'm giving people prescriptions for life-saving medications, right? These things will either save or alter their life, their pain, and they only do it half the time. And no, it's less than a pill, that. right. Almost twenty-two percent is like the is the adherence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I did this. Um, I did a couple different analyses on this, right? One is all medications, and it's as low as you're saying. Then I was like, okay, cool, but there's a whole bunch of meds where maybe people shouldn't be taking them. You know, what about the ones that are Actually, life-saving like magic pills, and even those, it's like around half the time. So I was joke like in the fitness industry, we always say like, you know, people are always looking for the magic pill. So you look at the data though, and if, if you had the magic pill, they'd only take
0: it half the time anyway. So
2: that's <laughs> yeah. the problem,
0: right? This well, is you know, yeah. this is, and really at the heart of I think what's interesting about and what's reasonable, and I will tell you that Juliet, just full disclosure, is deep into your you know is in a trained attorney. But deep into the precision nutrition level one, right? I'm
1: getting like so much stronger because I carry the book around everywhere yeah. I go, and it's like a forty pound <laughs> book. And everyone's like, "You always have that book with you." I'm like, "I know," but I, you know, do doubles <laughs> the
0: workout program. I was uh, as a young physio, <clears throat> I was in the hospital doing a, a six month cardiac rehab stint, and um, I sat in on at the cath lab. So just where people were getting their hearts cathetered, mm-hmm. you know, for blockages. And what was really interesting, I saw uh, really a man who was a very successful attorney. Obviously, it was just a stress case. Just did not look like a man who was thriving. And here he would, he'd had a heart attack or had a significant blockage, and he was having three stents put in. Mm-hmm. And what was I thought was really interesting was, you know, this conversation he'd had, I'm sure, with his physician, his family, a million times. You know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to eat. You got to sleep. You got to sleep more. You got to, you know, you got to stress. You can't drink. And the the thing that I thought You know, here he is on the table, unconscious, and they're starting to, you know, prep him for the surgery. And what I thought was, if you could show him the nurse inserting the catheter into his penis in this moment, that may be the only thing that would have changed his behavior. But even, you know, all of those billion opportunity steps, he still wasn't able to change his behavior to the outcome because. These habits and behaviors are really, really difficult to change, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and we have a hard time making sense of sustainability. And one of the things that's happened with Juliet and I about the decisions we make around helping people, to you know, manage their soft tissue or get ahead, we've become very reasonable. We're like ten minutes because we know that we can have really good adherence and that people can wrap their heads around ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen in your work is even the the baby steps of saying things like, "Well, hey, why don't you start by Adding a serving of vegetables a day for the week. And uh, can you talk about how you ultimately came to thinking about nutrition as a behavior science and how what a ninja and what a formula sort of uh, model that has been for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very personal experience for me because I started out
2: as a personal trainer. I paid my way through undergrad and master's and PhD, training people on the side, right? So I had clients and I was a, as a student, right training to be an academic. And the one thing that and and even prior to starting my grad school, when I graduated undergrad, I moved down to Miami Beach. I lived on South Beach and I trained clients down there. Right. So I was just living that crazy lifestyle in South Beach in the 90s. Awesome. But um, I I went down there and I got a lot of clients really fast. And from a compensation perspective and circles I was rolling in, it was awesome. But then, you know, once that wears off, you start to just look at your results. And I realized, well, I had a lot of the types of clients you just described. I had really high profile professionals. I had some professional athletes and on and on. And I just eventually became unsatisfied with the results that I was getting when I looked at the whole breadth of clients. And in fitness, we do this thing to protect our egos, I think, which is we always blame the clients for any failure that we have as a team, and we always accept all the credit personally for all the success we have as a team, right? So much the much client's like
0: watching <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, And so we're like, yeah, this client got great results. Look at how great my programming is, right? Oh, that client failed. Well, look at how crappy they are, right? How weak, how undisciplined. And as a young guy, it's really easy to adopt that, especially because I was competing in bodybuilding. and I was disciplined. Um, but there just came a point where i started to see things from a totally different perspective i don't know if i got older or i got exposed to different thinkers i started to realize well wait um i have to accept all the outcomes i have to accept all the people who dropped out all the people who didn't get results and i had this personal paradigm shift which was instead of this idea that well you can you know lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink What if I actually assumed it was my responsibility not only to create great programming for them, but also to make sure they do it? So instead of being like, well, I did my part. Here's the spreadsheet. You know, I actually said my part is getting you to do it. Percent responsibility for that. Well, that singular decision changed my entire life because now I had to go research things that I was never trained in. I had to go find out what that would mean. I had to actually make a commitment to the person that was paying me as a client now that went way beyond what my peers were doing. I had to say, wait, wait, oh, that didn't work? You didn't do the thing? Okay, shoot, that's my fault. How can I fix that? Oh, I asked you to eat those things? Oh, you didn't eat them? Where did I go wrong? Not why are you such a crappy person, but where did I go wrong in the equation? I must have not explained it well enough. Oh, no, that wasn't it. Oh, maybe I didn't make it easy enough for you. Oh, that wasn't it. And then you go down this checklist of things until you get to the root of it. And early when you start doing this, it's frustrating, just like learning any new skill is, right? Because you're you're not competent. Um, And then you have to go learn. So then for me, it went down this sort of, you know, rabbit hole of change psychology. And it was so crazy because, you know, when you come from hard sciences, you assume psychology is this like soft, nebulous, <laughs> thing, right? And then you start looking into change psychology and you're like, "Oh, wait a second. They got some legit science. Probably even better science than we have in exercise science." You know what I mean? So, oh, there's actually systems and frameworks and strategies that people are using to get people to change in every other field except for ours. Wah, wah, wah. Okay, I'm going to, wah, wah, wah. you know what I mean? So that that's how it all began. And then, uh, you know, when you set out, uh, I, I'm going to sound like such a new agey guy for saying this, actually. And, uh, we love
1: Canada. it. We love it.
2: Earth <laughs> <Canada>. We're in Marin. <laughs> when you set out this intention, right? Like this, I'm going to learn this stuff. Like all the people who are also interested in that come, right? So people like Krista Scott Dixon and all the amazing people at our team just start gravitating towards this thing because we're seeking the same kinds of stuff where we came from the same place. Now we want to uh, evolve, you know, personally. And then we're like, oh man, maybe we can help the industry. So we start doing this stuff. We start saying, wait, instead of talking about proteins, carbs, and fats, 90% or 100% of the time, what if we talked about them 50% of the time and the other half of the time we talked about human beings? and what it takes to get them to want to change, to get them to actually change within the context of their real lives. And then I'll tell you, this whole thing leveled up in the biggest possible way for me when I started making babies, you know? And so my <laughs> wife and I now have four children and uh, you start to realize very quickly the limitations of the idea of personal discipline, you know what I mean, <laughs> Being hardcore, <laughs> you know? You're like, oh man, how can I, Be in shape in the context of a real human life, where you have children, however many, and pets, and work responsibilities, and aging parents, and all the things that life really entails. And you don't just section off, oh, this is my fitness over here, be hardcore there. And then, oh, here's the other stuff. It all has to play together or else you won't do it. You won't do it for a year or five years or 10 years or the rest of your life.
0: And what we found is that it's not – you can't scare people. It's not enough. I mean you mm-hmm. there has to be a correlation between behavior and outcome that's sustainable. You know, that you can't say hey, you have to eat this way otherwise you'll get, you know, metabolic cancer disease. You know, you just yeah, – it's not – it, it just doesn't work. We know it doesn't well, work. Yeah, fight or flight isn't a lifelong
2: thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You scare someone and, and uh, either with your boot camp drill sergeant kind of ass kicker mentality or about – Death and disease, right? Well, that's fight or flight, right? And you can only run for so long from the lion before you have to stop and rest, right? So, what if we were actually going after things that are super positive that we actually want in our lives, you know? And and what if we framed our uh, interventions around that? Um, Right, right, right. Like,
1: I know you do such a good job in your course of saying, you know, Trying to figure out what a client's goal is and going for that goal, as opposed to saying, "Oh my God, you're obese and you're going to die for this many reasons." Um, and you know, instead, the focus is on what's the goal. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I always like to point out to Kelly, back to your earlier point, is every time I see someone post on social media that they have done their meal prep for the week, where you know they've made all their lunches and dinners and it's all <laughs> the perfect. Where I always point out to Kelly, I'm like, "Do you see that's someone we know and they definitely do not have kids." Like the yeah, moment. Totally. The moment you have a kid, like I've never seen a, anyone I know that's a parent that does all their meal prep on Sunday because on Sunday you're driving your kid to birthday parties and going to sporting events and you know it's just uh it's funny how that works. Um, oh, tell us, yeah, a bit. I know you started uh, Precision Nutrition in 2006. Tell us a little bit about what it is for anyone who has not heard of you before.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, that's great. It people who haven't heard of me. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> No, the precision nutrition does basically three things. One is we, we coach, we coach a lot of people. Um, we've discovered a way to, to do online coaching. That's really scalable and reliable and, and efficient. And so every year we coach about six, 7,000 people online. Uh, to date we've coached about 50,000 people total and it's a whole body transformation program, you know, people from all walks of life. Right. So that's, that's, uh, part one of of what we do so we just coach a lot a lot of people help them look better feel better etc uh the second part of what we do and this sprung from the first was after a long time doing that uh a lot of professionals were like hey you guys are are crushing it like not only from the business perspective in terms of getting a lot of clients but your clients are making radical transformations and you never even meet them in person right like Mm -hmm. the whole paradigm in fitness was well this has to be highly personalized, one-on-one, person-to-person, and you guys don't even meet the clients, and you're producing these jaw-dropping transformations, how's that possible? Teach us, right? So from that sprung our Precision Nutrition Certification Program, which was like our sleeper program for a while. I was the only one really at the company who really, really wanted to do it. Everyone else is like, that's yeah, so cute, JB and his little fitness pro thing. And now it's become far and away our, our biggest program. You know, we've, we've now uh, enrolled 50,000 students in that program, and we're actually growing faster there than we are anywhere else, which is so amazing because that's, our, that, for me, that's our leverage point, right? You train the professionals to go out and do this, and now instead of coaching 50,000 people over the next 10 years, we get 50 million people exposed to the ideas. So that's part two. And then part three, we just released, which is for a long time we wanted to connect the two. So we did this coaching with our own coaches, our in-house coaches, and then we trained professionals in how we do it. Um, But we couldn't connect the two yet until recently where we opened up our coaching platform for our professionals to deliver our coaching with them as the coach. And that's been a force multiplier for us. Um, So we've been around 10 years, we've coached 50,000 clients, right? In the last one year since we opened up ProCoach, our coaches have coached 50,000 clients. So it's 10 factor increase, right? In people's lives touched and helped. And so, um, and now as ProCoach grows, that grows exponentially. So this thing we've set out to do, which we set out to do from the beginning, which affect positive change in lives as many people as we could around fitness and nutrition (laughs) Um, Is happening now. And and it's not just like, these are our big, bold goals. We're going to say them and maybe we'll get them. It's actually like you trace the graph. We're like, we're going to hit a million people in the next
1: six years. It's amazing.
0: So that, that's, that's the so three awesome. things. You're that we're
1: just, no, Congratulations. You're crushing it. Yeah.
0: And what's one of the things that's so, you know, you and I have run into each other from, from Form Better or to work at Exos or working with Olympic Track and Field. We just, we keep, you know, we always are just sort of in the, in the same group. Mm-hmm. Uh, One of the things that we're always talking about, and I think it's so reasonable about the proof of your model is that you have a model for delivering behavioral changes. Like I think ultimately the recipe, the standard recipe for human function is pretty straightforward. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like, Eat fruits and vegetables. Nuts. You know, what I mean, just like however you, you know, eating proteins, high quality. I mean, like that's so simple on the one hand. But then, of course, the where the rubber hits the road is the is the change. And one of the things that you guys have done around, I think, so remarkable is that you have a model that is explanatory. You have a model that pre- is predictive, right? And it's also repeatable. And more importantly, across cohorts, like you, you can see that your model works. And I think that's because you hit this thing across age vision sport—it doesn't really matter. You're able to turn a dial up and down a little bit about, hey, we need to gain weight, we need to lose weight, Mm -hmm. we're endurance, we're power athletes, and then again, it's predictive, explanatory, and repeatable. That is—I mean—that's radical and and very, very difficult to do because when we talk to—I mean, I just was having uh, lunch with Prestegan, you know, uh, who's the founder of Exos, and. For API and the the idea is how do you scale these models? How do you get more people exposed? So it's not always a one on one phenomenon. And, And I think we need to, when we look at Stuart McMillan just put up a post I think yesterday the day before about how there's more noise now than ever before. And that, I mean, and if you open up my Twitter feed, it seems like there's every single or insta feed. There's every single nutrition, paleo expert writer, and there's just more junk out there than ever before. And it's mm-hmm. difficult for people to find real solid solutions at work. And I think one of the ways that we need to educate the population is by really looking at you know, those, those tenants does, is this model sustainable? Is it scalable? And does it explain what's going on? So really, really kudos there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that I really loved about your work when I dove more deeply into it is, you know, Kelly and I have done, like, we love to genetic test ourselves and we've done all this genetic testing. And, you know, we both came to realize years ago when, um, especially in the CrossFit world, it was like paleo, paleo, like paleo was God. Um, and we realized early on that, You know, at least based on our genetics, there were some things about the paleo diet that didn't really work that well for us. And Mm -hmm. we really came to be sort of diet agnostic and realize that the same diet really isn't appropriate for everybody, you know, based on a variety of factors. And so that's one of the things I love so much about your work is it's I mean, obviously, you have some real basic principles about eating like real food. um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of where you draw the line in terms of like what you should eat. And really, the whole program is about, you know, how you actually implement this into your life. Um, yeah, and I know you said, it won't, I, I read an interview you did where you said early on in your career, you were kind of focused on like the minutia of nutrition, and then you mm-hmm. really transferred over to this behavior. Yeah, well, you
2: know, I, I've, I've come to think of a lot of things as essentially like progression models, right? If you think of exercise progression as the simplest form, right? You wouldn't have someone come in on, on day one and be like, oh, cool, we're going to work on your chest, right? So here's a 400-pound loaded barbell. We'll just press on that for a while. Eventually, you'll be strong, right? I mean, you're actually asking people to do something they're incapable of because they haven't been progressed, right? The same with a complex loaded movement like a snatch or something like that, right? Uh, Some coaches might try this, but generally, it's recognized across the board that you're not going to load up a barbell, go up, snatch it yourself, right? With all the skill and strength you've developed over the years, and then put a newbie on even in a way that might be more appropriate for them and just be like, start snatching. What are you going to do? You're probably going to do some movement assessment. You're going to look for joint compensations. You probably won't start them off snatching right away unless it's with a broomstick. And even you might not start then if they have some uh, mobility issues prior to that. Right? So think about how we think of progression models in exercise and rehab. And then think about how many people are doing that in nutrition. We're not right. It's not even a concept that. Oh yeah, what I believe so deeply in my area could be useful over there too, right? <laughs> so that's, you know, that we're blind, right? We're blind to it, and that's okay. That's totally okay because we have to go through a career development progression model too, don't we?
0: Yeah,
2: we have to realize first what we don't know, and then when we learn that, now we have a chance to get better, right? So I think of it like um, you know, there's there's personal progression model, right? for clients, and that's what we try and do at PM. That's our whole thing. Like what series of habits should come in what order so that you can reliably move to a 400 pound bench press in terms of eating, right? And the problem with me writing you a paleo or a zone or a vegan diet plan and saying, follow this, is that I've given you the loaded barbell and said, well, I can snatch it. (laughs) All you have to do is, right? Um, you do it. You're like, well, it's hard. Well, you got to work hard, <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, that's what we're trying to do with nutrition. If you really thought about it, which we want to do, not, not everyone has to, and piece it all out. Okay, what's the thing that gets you the first level step? And then what's the next step? And then what's the next step? And then what's the next step? And let's build on those things until you get to the point where you can consistently, reliably do those skills I often talk about learning languages and talk about learning to play instruments. Yes, it is boring to play your scales when you're learning to play the piano or the guitar, but why do you do it, right? Well, because you have to develop, first of all, I I play guitar, calluses on your fingers, right? No coach is gonna say, oh, you know what? The first step is calluses. (laughs) Calluses. But try playing the guitar for more than two minutes without calluses. It hurts, right? And then you need to learn the central nervous system to peripheral nervous system communication required to move your fingers in the way that you need to. None of that is interesting or sexy, right? You, you, you just want to play Eddie Van Halen shit, you know? And, but that's how you have to do exercise. That's how you have to do learning languages. It's how you have to do nutrition as well. So that's what we really firmly believe in. And then I also say like, You have to permit career progression in the people that you're teaching to, like our students, right? You have to accept that in the beginning, none of this will matter to them. They may want sexy. They may not want to stair-step their way in their own career knowledge. And stair-stepping your way in your own career knowledge means learning change psychology and stuff like that. So it's all permissible. New clients, they're going to want it fast. They're going to want it easy. They're going to want sexy. It's okay. I love them anyway. New coaches, they're going to want the same thing. It's OK. I love them anyway. And we recognize where people are in their in their own progression and move them to the next step rather than finger wagging and telling them oh, it has to be this other way.
1: Uh, I love that, and it's you know it's so appropriate. I mean it's so interesting to me actually that no one has up till now applied that to nutrition um, anyway, Kelly and I love to uh, talk about this concept we actually call it the ready state, which is also the name of our podcast um, but it's basically what sort of like a twenty four hour cycle of simple habits that we do in twenty four hours that we've been able to fit into our busy life. We've got kids, we run businesses. Um, You know, we have probably a similar life to what yours looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to, you know, if you could walk us through like a John Berardi 24 hour cycle um, of, you know, sort of the habits that you are able to fit into your life, including like, do you take certain supplements on a daily basis? And, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the little things that you are super consistent about doing in a 24 hour cycle?
2: I'm not sure anyone's ready for a look inside this brain. <laughs> we've got, we've got four kids under seven and you no, know, an infant. No, it's, it's uh it's a little crazy over here right now, but it's awesome. And I'm happy to share some of those things. You know, I mean, I don't know why lately people are so fixated about the morning routine of successful performers or whatever, but since I wake up first thing in the morning, I'll start there. Um, so generally in the morning, you know, I, I don't have anything really elaborate. I just have like a little like self-care ritual I do for like 10, 15 minutes. You know, I uh, go to the bathroom, I take care of my skin and stuff like that. And then I walk out and cook breakfast for the family. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm usually waking up at seven. Uh, I usually wake up without an alarm, but I have like a sono system in my house. So if it hits 7.05 and I haven't woken up yet, it wakes me up with some music and then uh, then yeah, like 10 minutes, I'm taking care of my face and my body, and then I go out and cook. And I, we usually have like some veggies, uh, some eggs, I make some omelets for the kids and my wife, um, some fruit, and then they leave, so she takes them to school. And that's when I cook my own breakfast. And so usually what I do is I'll just prepare some, you know, I usually my normal breakfast, a couple slices of uh, chicken bacon, Uh, an omelet with loads of veggies and some fruit and then once that's prepared I usually sit it let it cool and then I kind of sit on the counter while I boil my water for tea I just kind of breathe for three to five minutes until my tea's boiled right so some people call it meditation or whatever again I don't I think that's not always accessible to everyone so what I do is I just sit quietly and breathe while my tea boils you know (laughs) I love it (laughs) and then uh and then usually I'll just bring my food in here into my office and I'll get started working by like eight o'clock at this point, 8:15, something like that. Um, the first thing every day, this is super critical. It took me way too long in my career to learn this is um, don't just launch into it. Um, prioritize your day. What are my intentions for the day? What am I going to get accomplished? Uh, w- in what order will I do things? Uh, usually I want to do 10 things in a day. But when I write down 10 things, I never get all 10 done. And this weird thing happens in my mind. I don't know if it happens to you guys. But um, I can have a crushing, kick-ass day. But if I didn't finish all 10, I end the day feeling really disappointed and unfinished. So I realized that instead of writing 10 things down and not getting them all done, I write three things down, right, knowing I probably could get four or five done. So it's weird, right? If I get five done out of my list of 10, I feel disappointed. And the rest of the evening, I'm distracted. If I get five done when I only wrote down three, I feel like I've won.
0: Like, I, like I'm the champion. No one can mess with me, right? <laughs> and let me, me jump in here for a second because what I just heard is something that we talk about in this sort of ready state idea. and that In physical practice, it's all of the things, all of the behaviors that make up Sort of taking care of feeding of nervous system, nutrition, stress. So, and what we always are trying to get people to advocate for is not, hey, I either trained like a demon or didn't, so I'm a failure or not, but I have all of these net positive inputs.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: if you, if you, we try to get people to frame all of these aspects from, walking from, you know, drinking some water to, you know, having a breathing practice, you know, getting anything that fits into this, this sort of ready state idea is a net positive. So that at least at the end of the day, if you couldn't train twice a day and, and go on a mm-hmm. vegan juice cleanse, you're still successful. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I really appreciate that, that psychology around, Hey, there, I can control this. And when I control that, I have low of control shifts onto me and I have sense of efficacy. And I think that's really an important piece around a sustainable, livable piece that isn't like this dream where I train three times a day and I eat like a ninja. I think that's really yeah. more than that. That's
2: great. I'm glad you pointed it out because this has been one of my most powerful shifts in my, in my whole work life. Um, literally, you know, I'll tell you about the rest of my day in a second, but when I used to finish my day not having completed my list, The time that I spent with my family was compromised. I would feel unfinished. I would constantly be thinking about the things I didn't do. I might even try and sneak away to get some of that done. When, like some days I feel like my whole experience on this planet is tricking myself into being happy. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like trying to trick my brain to not do the things it naturally is going to do, right? So this little strategy here, write down three things I'm going to accomplish today is the trick, right? Because if I do 10 and I only get done five of them, it's a disaster. If I write down three and I do the same five things, it was an amazing day. Like I'm skipping out of my office at the end of the day, I'm so happy. So, but it all starts with spending the 10 minutes required to prioritize your day. people talk about, do you check email first thing in the morning or not? It depends. It depends on what my prioritizations were for the day. Some days I get on Facebook as part of my work because I'm, I moderate a, a group that we have for our pro coaches. Uh, for those days, I get on Facebook first thing in the morning because that has been an intentional priority for me, right? So that's, that's you know, so I, I don't have any hard and fast rules except don't start your day without prioritizing what's important for the day and list the three that are gonna have the biggest impact. At PN, we often talk about unique abilities with our team and a unique ability as as we define it is the thing that you enjoy doing the thing that you're awesome at like that you could be best in the world even if you're not at now and the thing that makes the biggest impact on whatever you're trying to achieve right so if you can spend 80% of your time doing the thing that you love that you're world class at and that makes an impact for the company or for your own goals personally Gosh, it's a good time, you know? So that's that's really what I'm doing each morning. I'm saying, what what things am I going to work on today? Are they in my unique ability set? Let me get centered around this before everything starts flooding in. Like, because remember, this is a real life, right? So someone's going to call me at 12 noon. You know, I'm starting at 830 uh, and say, oh, your kid has pink eye. Come get them from school. Or
1: people are going to be like,
2: the servers are down. The servers are down. Or whatever thing's going to happen, right? So before all those things start flooding in, am I centered on what my unique abilities are and what I'm going to do for the day? And then I do them and I go out and do them and some days are better than others. Um, the second most important thing I've ever done for my life balance is uh, commit to picking up the kids from school every day, personally. So Amanda and my wife wants to do it, right? But I'm like, no, 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 this is my transition, right? So if I don't do this transition and you guys come work walking through that door at four 30 or whenever you are done it's to transition from work to family. And that's a disaster for me. So I get up at three 15 every day. That's my hard stop. I get myself together. That's usually when I have my lunch or snack right before it's time to go get the kids. I had my breakfast and now I usually just have breakfast over again, make another omelet, have some pieces of bacon, have another tea. It's the same thing all over again. And then I uh, go get them. And then the drive helps me transition mentally into being a dad, dad mode instead of work mode. And then I usually spend the evening with them, whatever, we're driving in the programs or hanging out or riding our bikes or scooters around. And then, um, then it's dinner time for them. My schedule shifted a little bit cause I work out later. So I'll cook dinner for them and then we'll put them to bed and then that's when I go work out. So I know you guys are coming to stay with us this summer. You'll see our home gym, but I got this killer home gym out here. So everyone's asleep. It's maybe nine o'clock. I just go out there and hit the weights. And I usually work out six days a week. You know, that's not like hardcore always. Sometimes I'll just go out there and do mobility stuff for 30 minutes. Other days I'll hit the weights. Other days I'll do track work, whatever. <clears throat> but usually about six times a week I'll work out and then I'll eat after that and then I get to bed by about midnight. So that's, that's the routine.
0: Amazing. I love it, I love it, it's so cool. In there, one of the things that I really like is that you know, you've set up these conditions where your behavior is blocked. You don't have to make a decision. You've already mm-hmm. prioritized the things. Now you, it's not about the decision of doing it or not doing it. That you have to pick up your kids. So you have to wrap up and, and get done. And, and so much of, we talk about blocked behaviors in terms of movement mechanics, Right. Mm-hmm. If, if I say, hey, you gotta jump in line with your feet straight, then you know, then I've I've made it automatically a, a standard that's protective and in feet forward. We see it of um, you know, organizing your life in a way that you have the it's easier to have the outcome really is the key. And what's interesting about the allegory of your kids really focusing, I mean, our good friend Laird Hamilton is like, Look, you could be a great human being, but you're not a man until you have kids. And can do your job and manage your friends and your life because it really does force you to block, you know, these certain behaviors mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so much. One of the things that's we love we've been we've been toying with is we have dinked. We we are always tinkering, right? And mm-hmm. you know, intermittent fasting and you know, my my genetics, for example, indicate that I'm not a great fat burner. Like that's mm-hmm. my that's the ding on me in terms of athletic performance. I just don't utilize fat so. We are toying with how do I become more fat-burning sensitive? How do I upregulate the the dormant, you know, 10% of me that you know that I think is really important. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's that happens sometimes when I used to not eat in the morning or just fast in the morning is that my workout sucked. Mm-hmm. And during the day, I often was under during the day because we'd get busy, you know, and yeah. I, maybe I just had coffee, and then I literally would go to sleep. We'd eat we'd eat the, with the girls at like 6:30 or 7. And then I would go to sleep, and at 11 o'clock, I wake up starving and get up and eat. And
1: just to add to that, there'd be a lot of days where he would eat like the exact same amount as me throughout Mm -hmm. the regular day, you know, and then we'd go to bed like having had the exact same amount of calories. So it's no wonder Mm -hmm. that he woke up at 11 starving.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So
1: then I'm I'm eating at 11, waking up,
0: eating. And then going back to bed. And not only have only been like fasting for like you know seven hours. Yeah. It's it's created all kinds of problems. And so yes. one thing has switched for me is we have really recently been toying with sort of time restricted eating, just saying, Hey, look, we're mm-hmm. gonna have a window of eating that's 10 hours. And and for me, it, it forced me to eat more during the day. So now yeah. I have to eat breakfast and I have to have mm-hmm. lunch and I have to have dinner, otherwise. I'm doomed.
2: And what I've found is
0: that my workouts are better because I'm really forcing myself to eat. I've set up a situation where I know I'm gonna have this this net positive outcome. And what's happened is that my workouts have gone up and I've leaned out a little bit and I'm sleeping through the night and I don't have to get (laughs) up. It's (laughs) not
1: like a baby who has to eat the middle of the night anymore.
0: (laughs) It's interesting that you know all those things, what I hear is in that program is setting yourself up by blocking behaviors that mm-hmm. automatically are funneled to do the right thing without a decision. And I think that's one of the things that people struggle with, is that yeah. by the end of the day, here's another decision I have to make. Here's another mm-hmm. decision I have to make around alcohol or food, or you know. And, and I think people become overwhelmed and then just default to what's easy or what's yeah. practiced the most.
2: Well, there's 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 three things I love. I want to address them that, that you said there. Uh, the one to start off with is, <clears throat> you know, I talk about a lot of the systems in my particular day. Right. But all of them are actually driven from a decision that I made when uh, we had our first daughter. Right. And, and again, you know, I've gotten a lot of personal coaching on how to be effective. I've had therapists for years so that I could have, you know, better relationship than I do on my own and better deal with my kids than I would on my own. And, um, you know, the, the, thing that I learned along the way is that you have to be intentional about what your real priorities are so that you don't have to make some of these decisions. Then you don't feel guilt when you make the necessary trade-offs. So when we had our daughter, I realized, like, I only have enough capacity to do a couple things well, right? Anything more than that, and I'll do none of it well. So it was, you know, seven years ago, I decided there's going to be three things that take all, like, all of my attention and energy is devoted to not in any particular order and the order may shift from time to time, but it's my family. It's my work and my own health and fitness. Right now. It sounds great. as like a platitude, right? <laughs> but the truth is it necessitates some hard choices. I've got a lot of friends I haven't hung out with in a long time. Right. There's a lot of opportunities that come up, right? Uh, something might happen where like a second cousin of mine is getting married or, you know, has a funeral or something like that. And I don't go not because I don't love them and I don't think it's important, but because they're not in the inner sphere of the three things that I'm focusing on right now. And I realize if I try to do them all, none of them will will go well. Work will suffer. Uh, I'll be at my second cousin's funeral maybe, but I won't be with my family. So a lot of my particular days are governed by the overarching principle of, if I've only got energy and time for three things, what are they gonna be? Okay, cool. When anything else comes up, you want to come participate in this charity fundraiser, whatever it is, the answer is no, because it's not part of the three things. Now, they may change over time. My kids will get older and they won't want to hang out with me as much. So then I might have energy and time for some of those other things. Something may change about my involvement with precision nutrition at some point, whatever it might be, but right now, there's those three things that are what I do and everything else is a no. you know? And I mean, we just bought this new house and it has a pool, never had a pool in my entire life before, right? Cleaning the pool is not on my list, okay? So when people are like, oh, yeah, I see you hired the pool guys to come clean your pool and open it or whatever. It must be nice, whatever. Yeah, it is nice, but it's only nice because that's not part of my three things, right? I can't do that if I'm going to be attending to my health and fitness, to my family, and to my my business. So that's that's where it all started from on a meta level. Um, I want to get specific, though. You talk about... How skipping breakfast right had a whole bunch of negative like collateral consequences that you wouldn't ever think about no one even talks about that's like what the whole cost of getting lean was about right it's about the trade-offs that are required and the consequences that you'll never even think about because you don't know enough yet of one behavior change right so you're like well it's just skipping breakfast it's fine uh you know Whoever you know, it was a conscious
0: choice, right? Like I wasn't like I'm too busy. I'm like no, I'm gonna fast forward and just have a little coffee and fat. I'm this, this
2: yeah. And whoever like someone's hero is of the day is talking a lot about it, so they're gonna follow their hero and they're gonna do their hero's thing. And you're like, "Well, well, wait a second, this isn't working. And what's the first thing people think when that happens? It's not like oh, this isn't working for me. They think I must be screwing it up somehow right? Like the whole joke, the paleo harder joke that everyone's had for years. Oh, paleo stopped working for you. Just paleo harder. It's the exact thing because what you're really saying is, Oh, some really smart people on the internets said, this is a good idea. It's it's not happening. It's not working out for me. It must be because I suck. Right? So you're like, I got to do it harder. But but the answer is it created different collateral damage in your life that you weren't ready for. Um, I did intermittent fasting for like six years. I wrote a book about it. That's been one of the most popular things we ever did. I posted for free on the internet. Um, and what ended up happening though, is once we had our third child, I just couldn't do it anymore because, um, while it made me shredded, right. Um, my, I was constantly in sort of fight or flight mode. And if I'm sitting in my office here quiet, it's fine, right? but when I go out and interact with my family, it's not fine, right? My patience is thinner. You know, my certain cognitive capacities are not there. I'm like, man, I'm a dick to my kids when I'm not eating breakfast. (laughs) Well, that's unacceptable. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm gonna stop that. So I started eating breakfast because the truth is, if you are smart about it, you can include breakfast and be fine. You could skip breakfast and be fine, right? You just need kind of advice. And I think one of the perils of a lot of the things that lead people to try these sort of self-experiments is the current championing and praising of self-experimentation. See, I hate self-experimentation for most people. You know why? Because self-experimentation is all wrapped up in this idea of being your own science project. How many people are trained in science in this world? You know, (laughs) like if you're not trained in science, you don't know how to do it properly. So people are like, find out one of the great, cliches in the nutrition world find out what works for you right well who the hell is the tools to do that this is a tiny percent of people right it's like saying here's the secret to getting in great shape dunk a basketball <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, there's only certain people can do that you have to have you have to be certain heights and you have to have a certain ability to produce force um to me find what works for you is a skill set that you need to develop Not just a thing everyone has access to. So what I like instead of self-experimentation is guided experimentation. Get some guidance. Yes, it's good to find what works for you. Have someone help you through it. Now, it doesn't have to be a paid coach. I'm not doing this to angle for our coaching services here because there's a lot of people who help you uh, and mentor you. But it's just this idea of, you know, when you talk about things like, hey, well, okay, I read about – you know, let's, let's call it sort of fuel efficiency and fat mobilization and all those ideas wrapped around that. And well, I've read that fasting can really help with that. And then you start this, the, the personal experiment. Even if you're trained in science, it's hard to be your own science project because you're too biased and wrapped up into your life. Get some guided help, right? To help you do that kind of experimentation to find what works for you. So that's the one thing I have for all the people listening and watching, right? Um, the kinds of singular decisions you think are singular aren't. They influence everything else. One of my favorite examples of that is like young guy starts working out, right? What does like an 18-year-old who just starts working out like one month into it do? He goes to GNC and he buys protein powder and creatine, right? So, the, so now one person will be like, man, that protein and creatine is working great, right? Meanwhile, he just started strength training a month ago. The other person is like, oh, strength training works so well when you're a newbie. I didn't even have to change my diet at all when when you're taking creatine and protein now, right? So these things are all integrated, and we don't always recognize what changes when we change one thing, but a coach or a helper or someone who's guiding you can. So I think that's really, really critical there. And um, the last part is the fat use thing. I'd like to help you with that. (laughs) let's talk after this because i'm sure you have access to some of the best coaches in the world but this idea of <laughs> metabolic flexibility is something i'm really really interested in now and and i think it's trainable like other skills yeah i think it's harder for some people genetically but i also think it's trainable and with certain supplements and certain practices you can get much more effective at flipping the fuel switch when you oh,
0: need yeah. it oh yeah and we, and i completely agree and we have and it's i um, i'm we're
1: lucky um I got one question. This is both a question and um, a call for advice. So Kelly knows this. Maybe the thing that drives me the most crazy in my entire life is witnessing my friends who eat a kale salad and salmon for dinner and feed their kids chicken nuggets and tater tots and the second thing that literally makes me apoplectic is going to kids sporting events where they sell donuts and Costco muffins. <laughs> and you see Pirate's Booty and chips and Doritos and sodas on the table at these volleyball tournaments. And this drives me literally crazy because, you know, I, it, it drives me crazy. And I don't think I'm doing a good job um, trying to change the hearts and minds of people on this subject. Um, for example, Kelly, raging
2: on the sideline. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and, and that's obviously not working when we're, when we're talking about psychology. But, you know, for example, Kelly and I have been working with our kids' volleyball team, and, you know, we sort of drew a line in the sand about what the sort of team snack table would look like at the beginning of the year. We said, look, it should be like a charcuterie and, you know, maybe some food-related bar, nuts, fruit, um, you know, maybe a chocolate milk, Um, maybe like some little cut up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like, that's what our snack table is going to look like. Um, and then, uh, right before our last tournament, one of the moms said, Hey, I'm going to head to Costco and this is the shopping list I'm going to get. And it was literally goldfish, pirates, booty muffins, chocolate milk. I mean, it literally, I, I actually thought she was punking me in the email (laughs) because I was like, wow. Like we are sort of I mean we're certainly not nutrition experts but we're sort of in this world and know people at least and know a few things um, but anyway I, I you know I know your kids are littler I'm not sure you've had a chance to fully experience this maybe you have a little bit with your seven-year-old but you know there's a there's there's
0: a large disconnect between, there's a huge you know, yeah, how disconnect people eat and then how we think we should be feeling our kids between our kids and, you know
1: and I think one of the last things, because I really would love your thoughts and advice on this, but one of the last things I see too, especially here in Marin County, is there's a lot of kids who are just thin, um, mm-hmm. even though, despite the fact that they are probably malnourished and only eat chicken nuggets. Um, so I think that, that fuels the disconnect with parents because they think, well, there's no observable um, issue with my kids mm-hmm. um, because my kid is thin. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I feed them ice cream every single day and Doritos and chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese because look, they're thin. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So to me, there's this big disconnect, and I just wonder what your thoughts are, and you know it, what you as a dad would do if you're approaching your kid's swim team to say, "Yeah, we probably shouldn't be selling donuts."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I try and tease out a lot of threads, right? Because this becomes a big tangled ball of ideas and opinions and thoughts, and also goals, right? Because you're like, one as a parent, you have to help your children navigate that, right? So. Um, for me, I want to take that off the table as part of that conversation, because the way I do that is through education at home, right? Like our kids started out early eating what we eat, our kids eat what we eat, right? Like it's raw fruits and veggies and protein. And when they don't get protein, when they're somewhere, they're not assholes about it. They're just like, even my, my three-year-old the other day was at, you know, a birthday party and lunch was being served or whatever. And he was like, uh, excuse me, um, is there any protein? <laughs> you know what I mean. So he's like, and, and not, you know, not in like a judgy way, or oh, the sick people are eating the not protein food or whatever. But just they have come as a matter of course to understand what a plate looks like. It usually has vegetables and fruits, and and usually our meals we don't add a lot of extra carbs to them because car- kids find carbs. They're like carb-seeking weapons. You know what I mean? Like they will find
0: carbs. <laughs> You bring up this really good point, and that is we always, in, the, in our sort of unconditional positive regard model, recognize that everyone comes from somewhere. Yeah. Everyone models their behavior, learn from somewhere. So, you know, as we're trying, as I take over the shopping and, and the, t- the table, yeah. we realize that people have never been exposed to it. They don't even know what it looks and like. And your child's yeah. friend's birthday. They don't know. They've never so we you can't fault for someone for for having been trained or being of a system. So I just exactly. want to you know that's really our our approach on this. So we're like yeah, oh, well wow, we we failed. Failed. Well, we sorry, that's, these families. That's,
1: that's Kelly's approach. I'm still in a place of like, <laughs> so I'm. I, yeah. It's that's something I have to work well, on, well, yeah, on. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that next, right? Because, um, you know, so part one is. Uh, Teach our kids just how to behave in the world around this stuff. Teach them what the expectation should be. Teach them that it's okay. Like, we don't hate the people who don't have protein and vegetables at their lunches. Uh, We'll get them if we get home. If you're in a bind and you're out there and you can't get any, but you could ask for them when the opportunity's there. So our kids are pretty cool about that. and It wasn't always easy because they've each had phases in their development where maybe they got exposed to some different foods. And then they come home and they're like, man, I don't want to eat vegetables anymore or whatever. And then it isn't like you're going to eat your vegetables because this is my house. It's, it's just very like, OK, well, we'll just make them available until you come back to the vegetable train, you know. So that's part one. Right. So that's so now if our kids go to events and sporting things and whatever, and, and there's bullshit food there, you know, um, they, they have their own. Right. And they'll just ask for what they want and need. And if they don't get it, they'll have it with them and that sort of a thing. The second thing is I try and never get mad about these things like it, bringing my own emotion to the table never helps okay. a thing. It makes me my worst self, you know, we, we even become our worst selves if we're overly positive about certain things. Like, let's say a client loses 10 pounds and we're like, woohoo, time for party, you lost 10 pounds. Well, now we just made the whole experience of changing behavior about the weight loss that we One said. Thing. It's not about the scale. It's not about the number. So yeah. I try and really not celebrate things like weight loss overly, what well, we might celebrate in that situation, and, and not even as a praise from big coach, uh, we would just ask the person how they feel about their progress. Wow, can you describe a little bit about how you feel about your progress? Rather than, oh, my God, it's so amazing. So I try and take like, justifiable rage, any justifiable praise, completely off the table. Right, This is what I do professionally. I realize that emotion doesn't help me be my best coach, my best self. Right. So take that completely off the table um, and realize that um, it's important to give people permission not to change. Right. So let's say you're working with a group of parents who say nutrition is important to them and their kids. And you're like, OK, cool. Well, I know how to do that. <laughs> you know, what I mean? let, me, let me help you change that. Right. But, you know, motivational interviewing is a, is a coaching technology that we use it comes from the counseling world that talks about um, something really important, which is the harder you argue for change, the harder someone will argue against it, even, even if yeah. they want that change in the first place. Right. It's perfect. Amanda and I, it's perfect. I might be, let's say a silly example, thinking going to get my hair cut. Right. So I'm like, man, my hair is really bad. I need to get a haircut. Right. And so yeah, I'm going to go next week. So I have it scheduled for next Friday. If Amanda were to say to me, your hair looks like shit, you need to do something about that right now. Like, let me just cut it right now. The more she would push, the more likely I would be to delay that haircut.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love that.
2: In nature, when people push for change, even if you want that change, you'll find ways to argue against them, right? And so the only way to combat that is to give people permission not to change. Hey, listen, it's okay if you want to continue to bring bullshit, and we won't say it that way, but to (laughs) soccer games, right? It's okay. Um, we give you the space to change or not change, right? And that paradoxically, and this is the weird thing about human nature, like it's the thing that's the opposite of what you think you should do that often produces the change, right? Like say so when someone comes in and says, you know, you know I, I know I need to eat healthier. My dad died about the same age as me of, of a heart attack. I should, I should really change. If you're like, you're right, you should really change. Here's what you need to do. They're gonna go the other direction. Usually we ask them, we, we call them the crazy questions. You know, it sounds like you're motivated to change, but tell me a little bit about what's good about your life the way it is right now, right? We're actually having them talk about what's good and then people are like, no, that's crazy. No, we want them thinking the opposite. And we're like, wait, 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 no. We're gonna get them saying what's good about, well, well, what's good is I'll have to think about what I eat and some of the comfort foods that I had growing up, I can eat now without guilt and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Those seem like compelling reasons to stay exactly the way you are right now. And they're like, oh, wait a second, though. (laughs) And now they start talking me into why they should change. And most importantly, they start saying it themselves. Right. So this is, this is coaching science, right? You start thinking about how you can have dialogues with these parents, um, or the people who are bringing the food that makes them argue against you for what you really want in the first place. right? Right. Right. I love it. And, and it's a cool trick, but it never works if you're so invested that you can't leave the possibility of nothing changing on the table.
0: Right. Right. If That's you're right. so they know it. That's know? right. And, and ultimately, in this you know, we a year ago we had this tournament and kids are just crashing and they play all day long and up and down. Mm. And there's seven matches in a day, and you know, people are freaking out, and like kids are eating shop locks in between every you know, every game. And mm-hmm. and we again give parents permission, they they can bring whatever they want. But I just created a table and literally the kids who are sugar addicts grab the bowl of berries and show just like and I was like, oh you know. Well, yeah. I've seen worse things than that, yeah. you know. And what ends up happening is that every parent comes up to me and is like, "Everyone was so great. No one crashed. There were no tears." And right. all see the kids, kids
1: were like this all day long, you
0: know. And I was like, "That's not that, that weird." You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. They discovered this themselves, you know. But That's you know, you're right. Letting people find the, the positive, I really, I really appreciate that because, you know, I, I do think sometimes we are creatures of habit and we we do what we know and what's you know what's comfortable and we actually have a, a couple you know we see we're in working families and we see parents who just can't have one more fight you know that's yeah. that's a, it comes down to they just yeah that,
2: i was that was going to be i i as you guys were asking the question i wrote down a couple of points that i wanted to speak to and that was the last one right have to i mean coaching is an empathy game right if you can't empathize with another person's situation you can't help them right you will never understand that's why hard-ass coaches I can only help a certain type of person, right? Uh, the, the people who are who need to be beat up, right? Who want to be beat up, who come to you for that, right? Um, because if you can't identify, if you can't create the space to understand what the other person's going through and actually feel it with them, uh, you can't actually help them. So uh, that's what occurred to me. I'm like, I see parents, and uh, I am a parent. Like, how many times do I have to say no to my kids in a day? It is mind-bogglingly crazy. And I even know how to do it, you know what I mean? I know how to do it well, right? We give them choices and we do all the good things. But still, in a day, I functionally have to say no like a million times, right? I mean, we fight about what shoes to wear, we fight about what coat to wear, we fight about when to leave, we fight about who's gonna sit where in the car. Every next second is a battle, right? And so what you were saying there, Kelly, Wouldn't it be nice if one of the things food wasn't a battle and how do you do that? You give them goldfish. They don't fight over that. Right? So this is me trying to understand what's good about not changing for the parents. What's good about goldfish and all the other stuff that they bring? Well, it's this, right? It's cheap, but it's probably not an issue for most of the parents who you're working with. It's, easy, right? I'm going to Costco anyway, I'm just going to get all the things. It doesn't require a lot of thinking. But probably the big one is, it's one less battle I have to fight today with my child, right? Now, it doesn't mean we say, okay, so that's fine. That's great. You know, we keep giving goldfish. But I want to deeply understand what they're getting out of it because you already had the talk. Like, hey, here's how we're gonna feed the kids. Everyone good? Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. up. Everyone's good, right? And then this thing happens, and you're like, okay, well, they're not just trying to flip me off. There's something good about this for them. If I understand that, maybe we can work on it, you know? That's right.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. I I love the ninja, you know, and you know, I didn't have three kinds of fruit on the table. I had seven kinds, had, <laughs> I had six kinds of meat. I had, you know, our kids could, yes. they were, they, were, they, then the agency of like, you know, sometimes we put our kids, you want of meat salad, put out? Or you want vegetables. Uh, we, had sal- we had salami, we had turkey, we had, um, I think I had- Cheat, A couple cheeses. cheeses. I had ham yeah. out there, you know I mean? Like kids oh, yeah. could just go to town, you know? And what we saw was that when you give kids lots of choices, the agency was theirs. So once again, what I tried to do is block their behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. Like here's all the amazing things you can eat and it's all up to you. And and we didn't have a no kids squawked. You know, I took I made I got the best sprouted bread I could. I made these great peanut butter jelly sandwiches and like pressed a cup into them, feed zone portable, Allen Limb style, cut all the crusts, had these little circles. And you know, so if kids only eat PB and J, it was great, but they also grabbed a handful of berries on the way out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the key is that I think it's consistency Mm -hmm. next tournament, kids expected that there would be 20 kinds of Tupperwares and then pretty soon again, it's just exposure. And I, you know, how many times you have to do something before you change your behavior. I think it's more than once. Yeah, totally.
2: Oh yeah. So, you know, this problem, you see how this problem becomes a big thing, right? It's like, okay, my kids are involved. So we got to deal with that part. Then there's the kids themselves and their choices. Then there's the parents and the decisions they want to make around what they provide and what they bring and stuff like that. So once you untangle it, you can work on it. And then just like solving any other problem, whether it's a business problem or a mobility problem or a helping kids eat healthy problem, you figure out the one that's the biggest lever. You gotta solve for, is it the kids you gotta solve for? Or is it just your kid that you're mostly worried about? And then you deal with the one that's the real issue Because I find, you know, problems, real problems get to be a big tangled ball of yarn with 18 different threads and you don't know how to untangle it. So you find the one and
0: that's the one you deal with, right? And the thing becomes untangled. But which pill was I supposed to take again to make me awesome? Isn't that just easier? (laughs) I just want the protein shake, bro. Um,
1: Hey, you know, it's so fun to talk to you. We could probably go on for another three hours, but I know we all have to get on with our day. Um, We are so excited to come hang out with you at your house. And maybe we can We're call this part hell? one,
0: and we can do this regularly. Because I, what you're, you've got cooking, really, like, I've had 10 ideas where I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can apply that to improving, changing people's position and mechanics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and maybe it's confirmation bias. I'm like, oh, that must be why that works. And I really appreciate it and want to suggest that if you are a strength coach or a fitness coach or a mom or dad, your program gives you so many ideas about principles, about changing behavior that you could apply to anything. And it's really, yeah. it's transformational.
2: Cool, I appreciate the kind words guys. And yes, I'm having a lot of fun. Yes, we'll do part two and up to <laughs> part 100 if we want. Uh, this this is a blast. I mean, uh, we think a lot alike in certain areas, but we have different experiences. So it's fun to share them and compare notes and stuff like that. Love it, let's do it. And we are very much looking
0: forward to hanging out. Tell us where we can find you on the internet, your company, yes. what are those places?
2: Yeah, I mean, simply come to precisionnutrition.com, guys. I mean, we we've been publishing free a free blog, free articles for a really long time now, and we have a thousand at least. Our search engine's really strong on the site. So if you're like keto, keto is the hot thing. I need to learn about keto. Okay, I need to learn more about low carb. Well, what about pers- post work on nutrition? Oh, what about injury and nutrition recovery? Oh, what about behavior change? Just come do hit the search engine on our site. We've published probably a definitive article about it. That's you know leans on the latest science plus all of our coaching experience and that could be a little gateway into getting some new ideas you don't have to buy anything from us you can just come and learn love it
1: Love it. well thank you john um until next time
2: sounds good thanks guys
0: thank you for listening to the ready state if you like what you're hearing check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com
1: the Ready State is the podcast of MobilityWad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain, each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves.
0: We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under MobilityWad. That's W-O-D as in Workout of the Day. Till next time, cheers, everyone.
1: you got it. You better stop. Kelly Starrett is the New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility WAD, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave.
0: You got it! A little something